when I discovered functional medicine and realized that there was more to it than I was ever taught in medical school, I just became really passionate about it, uh, worked on healing my own gut, rebalancing my gut microbiome, fixing the leaky gut. And then I just got really curious. Uh, I was a, an integrative doctor trained in internal medicine, working with all sorts of patients. But I got really curious about the gut and I think what you focus on then just gets bigger and patients would refer their friends, family, coworkers. So everybody was talking about me fixing their gut. And that's what finally led, led me to write my first book and just kind of becoming an accidental gut expert. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you are meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Hippocrates said that, you know, all disease starts in the gut. And in order to heal disease, we need to heal the gut. So, and another amazing quote is, let food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. And that is so true. And this is why our gut is so important. And as a gynecologist working with patients and understanding this from the functional medicine root cause perspective, like what's the underlying reason that we have hormone imbalance? What's the underlying reason that we have inflammation or what's the underlying reason for the skin issues, acne, psoriasis, allergies, all of these things, ear infection, I mean, name it. What are the underlying issues? And they lie in the gut. And that is so true with hormone balancing. Within the gut, we have the estrobilome. And that is our estrogen detoxifying, producing bacteria. And it's important to keep balance and keep healthy and taking care of the gut, I mean, that's where it begins. So today in this special girlfriend doctor, he said, she said, I have my guest, Dr. Vincent Pedre, and we're going to cover some key topics like why personalized gut care is important and what the best diet is for gut health, as well as intuitive eating. I mean, it's hard to be intuitively eating when you have tremendous cravings and your blood sugar is high, gets highs and lows and is all over the place. So we're going to talk about getting clear around that and intuitive eating, as well as the role of the gut in hormone balance and circadian, the circadian rhythm of the gut and how to get that into ship shop shape, as well as why healthy digestion is necessary for a glowing complexion. And it really does, it really does start there. And so let me introduce to you, Dr. Vincent Pedre. He's really been a friend of mine for a while. And he's an amazing physician. And he's been in New York City. He's the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness. He's worked as a nutraceutical consultant and spokesperson for Nature MD and Orthomolecular Products, is a also a functional medicine certified practitioner with a concierge practice in New York. 
His newest book, The Gut Smart Protocol, features a personalized gut healing program and provides his most up-to-date protocol to revitalize your health. So I'm really happy to introduce you here to my friend and medical colleague, Dr. Vincent Pedre. Welcome. Hi, nice to see you. Oh, it's good to see you too. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And, um, you know, why did you choose to focus on the gut? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, actually, it was accidental. I wasn't really planning on becoming a gut expert, but it was the, it was the thing that I had suffered with the most growing up, having been on so many rounds of antibiotics. I, I've counted 20 plus rounds of antibiotic as a teenager, completely destroyed my gut microbiome, led to sens food sensitivities to wheat and dairy and other foods. And I really thought- One second, Vincent, sorry. Why were you on so many rounds of antibiotics? What were they treating? Oh, All sorts of childhood infections, uh, pharyngitis, sinusitis, bronchitis, pneumonia, um, it was always an airway thing, just over and over. And the pediatricians would put me on a multivitamin and back in the 80s was like this big horse pill that they would give you. And they thought that my immune system was just weak because I wasn't eating enough. And meanwhile, I calculated what I ate as a child. I was probably bringing in like three to 4,000 calories a day. Cereal, wow. milk, ice cream, wow. desserts, you know, bread, pasta pizza. I ate so much and yet I couldn't gain weight. I had leaky gut and I thought that this was going to be my, even after I had gone to medical school and I was already a doctor, I thought this, this was going to be my destiny for life, that this was just uh, kind of like, I, I just got the bad lot when it came to digestion in my family. And when I discovered functional medicine and realized that there was more to it than I was ever taught, in medical school, I just became really passionate about it, worked on healing my own gut, rebalancing my gut microbiome, fixing the leaky gut. And then I just got really curious. Uh, I was a, an integrative doctor trained in internal medicine, working with all sorts of patients, but I got really curious about the gut. And I think what you focus on then just gets uh, bigger and patients would refer their friends, family, coworkers. So everybody was talking about me fixing their gut. And that's what finally led me to write my first book and just kind of becoming an accidental gut expert. Accidental gut expert. I mean, I know for myself that like I had six ear surgeries by the time I was 11 or 12 years old. And I eventually like in my thirties, after also hearing loss in my left ear and then right ear accelerated by pregnancy, I stopped dairy. And when I stopped dairy, like my ears were clear. It was crazy. And whenever we, the connection is interestingly enough that when I eat dairy now, for example, it's, it's in a pesto or I splurge on a dessert that has dairy, creme brulee or flan. I am telling mm. you an Achilles heel, heel for me. Oh yes. Oh um, my goodness. <laughs> so good. So good. And my ear gets fluid in it. It gets fluid in it or we'll, I'll get signs of an early infection in my ear. I mean, it's so crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, those six ear surgeries, marangotomies that I had tubes in my ears 
possibly, probably could have been eliminated by not having dairy had I known that I had a dairy sensitivity. Number one. Number two, those rounds of antibiotics every year because of persistent ear infections. You know, yeah. how that destroyed destroyed my gut. And that's a challenge. And another big piece is like why I like to focus on gut too for, for I mean, just for hormone balance, but also the healthy digestion for a glowing complexion piece is that We've seen billboards that say class action lawsuits for Accutane users because of gut issues as mm. a result of Accutane. And I would say, is it the Accutane or is it the serial antibiotics that led, you know, that were ineffective and then Accutane was the final treatment that caused all the gut imbalances? Because you can't yeah. say there's not a single Accutane person that wasn't on rounds of antibiotics. Yeah. And, and Accutane itself has some level of antimicrobial properties. So yeah, it messes up the gut microbiome. And I was just listening to you before we came on talking about the estrobolome. And I just saw a report today talking about how women are going into menopause younger and younger. And it has to do with getting exposed to xenoestrogens and endocrine disruptors. And, you know, we are, our bodies are able to handle, you know, we were, we are these really sensitive super organisms that depend on what the bacteria in our gut are doing and metabolizing, but we can only handle so much, you know, and when your cup becomes full by, you know, toxic exposures or for you, it was dairy. So a food that we hear, you know, growing up milk does the body good. It makes your bones strong. I mean, the commercials that used to be put on TV back then. And honestly, as a child growing up in the 80s, I thought that I needed to drink a lot of milk to keep my bones strong. And the milk was part of what was weakening my immune system. Mm -hmm. I mean, that awareness, it's, you know, I mean, the uh, I, I can go off on a tangent here. If anyone wants to hear me go off on a tangent, raise your hand, put a comment in. But I'm telling you, I mean, it's marketing, right? I'm a marketer too, right? I market women's health and hopefully I'm marketing, empowering women to take control of their health and to reduce the noise. Like we market, like those are things we market, but we're also marketed to, oh, this is best for your health. If you do like the, the whole anti-aging market, you know, making us feel less than enough. It's an issue. And then of course, dairy market, antibiotics, shots that, you know, you're advertising. So especially when it comes to shots for women's health and otherwise, it is the, you know, pharmaceutical companies aren't held liable or responsible for consequences of that intervention. And that's number one, a mistake. And number two, in, there's only three countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise directly to the consumer. And that's totally brainwashing. And I recognized this over 20 years ago when my, at that time, six-year-old said, you know, mama, I need D-E-T-R-O-L-L-A, Detrol-L-A, which is a, a drug for bladder urgency or urge incontinence and that sense that, oh my gosh, I got to run to the bathroom. She watched this commercial, this bright, you know, this bright prodigal child. And she was like, oh, that's me. I have to run to the bathroom all the time. I get this urge to go. I need this pill. And kids are brainwashed. I mean, at a young age, we're brainwashed. We've brainwashed generations by this time. 
to mm. think that there's external solutions versus internal solutions or the answers outside of them versus inside of them. And what I love about what you do, Vincent, is that you're like, okay, this is the way to empower you. And when we heal the gut, and it's not a sexy topic. I mean, I talk about sexy topics, but okay, the gut's not necessarily a sexy topic, no, but it, it heals it heals all things. So that's, first, that's why it was, the, it was the last thing I thought I would end up as a <laughs> gut expert when I went to medical school. Like I, I thought, you know, the heart is sexy, like it's interesting, the lungs, but the gut, it basically digests your food and then produces a smelly poop at the end. Like what's sexy about that? It's so, so true. Okay. So tell us like the, you know, what is the gut smart protocol and, and what does everyone listening, like what are common mistakes people make when it comes to their gut and food? Oh, I can, I can oh, go off on so many of them. Uh, well, first the gut smart protocol is a 14 day personalized gut healing plan based on the gut smart quiz that I created that is, gives you both a score a number score and a qualitative measure. So your score tells you if you're mild, moderate, or severe. And then based on your level, then I have food lists that are divided according to your gut level, as well as meal plans and, and also recipes that are classified according to the different gut levels. And the reason I did that is because I found through my work over the last decade with uh, patients with gut health issues that it's really hard to just give one diet to people with gut health issues. If someone has severe issues, you can't let them eat the same way that you would someone who has maybe mild, moderate issues. So you, so I really wanted to create a plan that stratified things, made it simple for people, made it easy to know what to eat, what not to eat, and then guide them through the healing journey. So they take the quiz in the beginning, they take the quiz at the end of the 14 days, and it's kind of a marker to see where you're at. So a lot of what's happening during that time is, is your own empowerment. Like you're learning how your body responds to food and how certain foods are good for you and other foods aren't. Um, I'll tell you one thing that um, you asked, like things that you can't get away with. You can't have your drink and heal your gut too. And you can't I can't have your drink. Did you mean like my coconut water? I know you're not no, talking your, about my coconut your wine, water. your glass of wine. Hey, well, what about tequila? Not <laughs> even, even tequila. tequila. No, even tequila. I thought it was severe, medicinal. If you if you have severe gut issues, uh, because alcohol is an antiseptic, so it's going to cause a disturbance in the gut microbiome. It leads to dysbiosis. It increases gut permeability. It increases inflammatory signals in the body. So if you are healing your gut and you're starting at severe or moderate level, you really can't have alcohol. You can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And mm. trust me, I've had those patients. They're like, well, I'll do the diet. I'll do the supplements, but I'm going to have my glass of wine at dinner. I'm like you can't cheat the system. Yeah. No, it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. That's so true. And I think that's a uh, okay, first thing that comes to mind, of course, is patients with breast cancer. You know, they, they don't want to give up their wine. They feel like they've given up so much. And, and yet and yet, one drink a day increases the risk uh, of, of a woman getting breast cancer by 8 to 13%. Yeah. So, you know. And the studies on recurrence, I mean, we need those studies. But I will tell you something, because this is like, like, you know, you have to hear things in threes for it to sink in. But I'm here, you know, in Mexico on my mini uh, respite retreat. 
And the medicine woman that I met, she says, you know, they, she said, you know, this is a vegan place. And, you know, after I rolled my eyes, there's no alcohol, there's no meats, anything like that. I'm like, okay. And she said, you know, she said, they call alcohol spirits for a reason. And I never made that connection. Like here, drink, you know, here have some spirits, alcohol are spirits. And here we are very, you know, you know, that spirits, alcohol opens you up to influences, lets you act in a way that you might not normally act. And uh, there's no closure. And it also leaves you depressed for the next three days. And on average, it can. And so to look at it from you're on a spiritual, for me, on a spiritual journey, you don't want to open yourself up to no, and it, spirits and, too. Yeah. And interestingly, what you're saying is it breaks down your energetic uh, boundaries. Yes. And what it's doing in your gut is it's breaking down your physical boundary uh, that's protecting you from the inflammatory world that's living inside the gut. Mm-hmm. Okay. So no alcohol in the gut smart protocol. No, and that, I'm I mean, hearing that more and more in menopause and beyond. I mean, our body metabolizes alcohol differently. If we're struggling, that's the number one thing to eliminate. Absolutely. I agree with you as much as it's I a hard one. Look, it's, it's a, a hard, hard one. one, but I, I think it's, it's something important to look at. And as part of, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, I'm always the type, like, I'm not going to preach something and not do it myself. So, you know, and I never considered myself, uh, you know, I'm a casual social drinker, not that much. One drink, maybe two max in an evening on a weekend. But I gave up alcohol on January 1st because I was putting this book out and I wanted to really understand what is it like to not have alcohol and what is it like to be in social settings and be able to go out to dinner with friends and watch them share a bottle of wine and you don't have that. And yet, can you still have a good time? You know, why is it that you need the alcohol to have a good time? And, and I think it's important to, to be able to sit with these feelings because usually what comes up are, are feelings of discomfort. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there's a little bit of social anxiety the alcohol makes you feel more comfortable, or maybe it's the end of the day and you're stressed and that drink is your little like mini vacation, your, your escape from the uncomfortable feelings that are arising from your stress. And what if instead you sit with your feelings and you just breathe through them? You know, they're not going to kill you. They're not going to take you down. But we run away from them so much in so many different ways, not just alcohol. You know, it can be anything. It could be gambling. It could be sex. It can so many different ways that we avoid these things. And when you're doing any sort of cleansing program, elimination diet, I think it's really important to to explore not just the foods that are causing problems, but also the things that you run away from, the discomfort inside, the thought patterns in your head that you feed yourself, you know, because we think about like that we feed ourselves food, but we don't really think about that we're also feeding ourselves thoughts. We're feeding our brain thoughts and our brain needs to digest those thoughts. I think our emotions are digested in the gut and that's why Mm -hmm. I think the gut is our intuitive center. It's our first brain when it comes to intuition. It's not the second brain. It's the first brain for intuition. But I think we need to think about, and that's why I talk a lot about mindset, breath work, 
meditation in my book as part of this protocol. It's not just a diet protocol. It's a diet and a mindset protocol. Yeah, no, I love that. And back to like our feelings about alcohol, there's also that huge piece of marketing movies and, and marketing, the alcohol companies, et cetera, one of the largest industries, uh, most profitable industries in the in the United States. So I think that we look again, how have we been influenced by our marketing too, and then trusting our intuition, tapping into how we feel. And I'll just also reference podcast I did with Dr. Will Cole, with Dr. Will Cole, C-O-L-E, with his book, Gut Feelings another great reference. So we'll refer to that in the in the show notes. So I think that's important to trust your intuition. And in order to be able to have that intuition, Vincent, you got to clear the clutter. I mean, you got to improve, improve the quality of the what you are feeding your body beyond, you know, thoughts, certainly, and the food that we eat and how I love that you've incorporated that as part of the gut smart protocol. Yeah, I think it's uh, as part of any protocol, like I tell people, I took such a painstaking approach working with nutritionists, working with fermentationists, like really like separating foods into different categories. But in the end, I'm not the ultimate expert on your own body. You are. And the only way that you can become an expert on your body, like a full expert, is to become embodied, to actually connect with your body, to connect with that gut intuition. And that's part of slowing down. That's part of the, the breath work exercises that I teach, the deep diaphragmatic breathing. And also I teamed up with Amanda Gilbert, who is one of the, the meditation teachers that contributed exercises in the meditation chapter. And she talks about you know, how to have a very ritualized experience with eating, starting before the meal, during the meal, and then after the meal. And all of that is part of developing this intuition because just think about like a lot of people look, uh, and I understand I've been a single dad. There's a lot of single moms, or even if you're married, you're still kind of like the one who's running the show at home. So even married moms, a lot of times they have a lot of responsibilities that would, would be the same as a single mom. And you're just like, you're, you're racing through your life, right? And I make, I, what I say is like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't approach the dinner table at 60 miles per hour, right? No, definitely people, not. Right. But a lot of people, that's what they do. Their, oh, yeah. their life think... is going at 60 miles per mm -hmm. hour and they need to eat. They don't even sit down. They're at the kitchen. They're just snacking. And then they're not giving the body that break that it needs to like fully focus and get into that rest and relaxed state. And that's something that I talk about in the book, like just even stopping and taking, doing some deep breath work before I'd, you eat. I'd love for you to do that breath exercise with us and just thinking about that to, to be able to tap into that intuitive healing. And I think what's interesting is, you know, I'm on this respite in Mexico. So I went to a cacao ceremony. I mean, like, I'm like, oh, good, hot chocolate. I'm all in for a good glass of hot chocolate. Yeah. And, but the ceremony was, it was very interesting to know that cacao, you know, the cacao plant has many of the seeds inside of it. And they consider it a family and that each seed is like a heart. And like in community, it's many hearts brought together. In families, many hearts brought together. 
And they talked about, you know, the raw cacao versus roasted cacao and how trials roasting makes you sweeter, softer. I mean, it's interesting. It was really, it was so lovely. And that cacao was only used by, like it was for weddings. It was by the elected officials or, you know, for special occasions. And it, it's a ceremonious and they really did from blessing the cacao to, you, you know, sharing it in community to serving everyone to really ritualizing this ceremony. And I thought it was so beautiful. And I think about, I think, that was it, slowing down and understanding that each thing we eat, it, there's a sacrifice made for it. And, you know, to recognize the interaction that's having with our body intuitively and how when you can listen to your body, how powerful that is. And I'm going to do another thing because what about, you know, we're going to go into your breathing exercise in a minute. But I know my clients are asking because you just took away my wine. What about coffee? Coffee's a big one, right? <laughs> so too much coffee is going to be really irritating to the gut. And yet, you know, coffee is one of these that is a double-edged sword. It's got a lot of positive benefits. It's got benefits for cognitive development for the brain. But at the same token, uh, if you're drinking too much coffee, it's going to cause hyperacidity it's going to, it can make you sick to your stomach, certainly makes you, you know, the acidity makes you run to the bathroom. So what I tell people is, look, ideally, I'd love for you to cut coffee out. But if you can't, at least okay. reduce it to one cup per day, you know, yeah. don't go to that second and that third cup, because uh, it's also zapping your energy. You know, it's, I know it's counterintuitive, but the more coffee you are, you have, the more you're driving that adrenaline system and you're actually depleting your energy and you just, you know, you just go up and down, you keep crashing as the day goes on and you need that next and next cup. Um, and I've, it, the interesting thing is over the years when I've had patients reduce their coffee intake and maybe substitute the missing cups of coffee with exercise, their energy actually goes up. It doesn't go down. It actually improves. So, so true. And I, the other, and, and I do want to mention one other thing, actually, with coffee, which, which is a bit harder, but, you know, just you have to think about mold and mold contamination with coffee. I, I was in Peru a couple of years ago, and uh, we toured a, a coffee plantation. And you learn and realize how easy it is when those beans are sitting around and they're going through their different stages of processing, it's very possible to get contaminated with mold. I mean, just think about like a container of blueberries or raspberries that you buy at the supermarket. If it sits around too long, it's going to have mold growing on it. And same thing can happen with the coffee beans. And for people who have gut health issues, they're going to be very sensitive to mold and mold increases gut permeability. It's uh, another gut disruptor. So it's something to think about is like, where is the coffee being sourced? You know, coffee is also very heavily pesticided crop. So buying organic versus non-organic and then making sure that, it's that it is mold free, uh, which means you really have to trust the, the provider and, and the way that they're choosing the coffee beans. Because, you know, the, it's going to be cheaper to choose coffee beans that are not in the best state. And if, if a coffee supplier is taking and cutting some corners, they're going to be buying the lower grade beans. And those lower grade beans are more likely to get mold on them. So you, you have to think about, 
there's a lot of things to think about when it comes to coffee. It's not just about the coffee, but it's all the other things that go around uh, with the coffee that could be affecting gut health, like pesticides, which is a huge gut disruptor that I talk about in the book. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and mold, mold toxin as a hormone disruptor and can affect fertility and all those other things. And I think one of the things that I realized when I was you know, writing my book, my second book, Keto Green 16, because I wore a continuous glucose monitor for a year, basically, as I was preparing the recipes. And one of the things that was, it just shocked me. I always knew I woke up in the morning and I was in ketosis and alkaline. And then I would drink my, you know, I'd have my water and Mighty Maca, but then I drink a black cup of coffee. And I recognized that I would be acidic, you know, the urine pH would turn acidic. But I was also bumped out of ketosis. I'm like, what's going on? So with the continuous glucose monitor, I saw that after my cup of coffee, I had a glucose spike. Be black coffee, uh, black coffee. And I don't, I don't like to mix anything. I don't like to dilute my coffee flavor. So I love my espresso. So black coffee. And because coffee, caffeine increases cortisol and cortisol increases glucose. And then there goes up your blood sugar and can kick you out of ketosis. And again, the acidity, it, it can be and a it, perfect storm for, especially with sensitive adrenals. Yeah. And it also stimulates a, an insulin response. So someone who's already suffering from chronic fatigue it's, it's actually going to hurt you more than help you. And I actually, if I, um, I don't drink coffee anymore. Um, I gave up coffee in 2017. Wow. Yeah. Long time ago. Uh, but, and before that I was, had gotten really into the coffee with the MCT oil and the butter and, and all that. And I went from that to cutting it out. Cause I realized that it just wasn't working with my system. About 50% of people in the world don't metabolize coffee quickly. And I'm one of those that if I have a coffee, if I would have one. So two, a, a slow two, caffeine metabolizer. In yeah, other slow caffeine metabolizer. So, and, and you know this, if you have coffee in the afternoon and then track your sleep, so you think it's not affecting your sleep, but a 2 p.m. cup of coffee could be messing up with your deep sleep and your REM sleep. So it's going to take away some of that restorative sleep. And I found that that was happening with me, but the, uh, oh my God, all this talk about coffee should not I know we're just going off on the coffee. Why? But I want to go have a cup of espresso right now. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you're absolutely but, right. Oh, this is what this I was going to say is that I, I had noted before that if I had coffee on an empty stomach within 30 minutes, my blood sugar dropped and I was getting shaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course, then, so it can also trigger your insulin, drop your blood sugar, then your cortisol kicks in as a rescue response, but it would leave me feeling horrible. So then I realized, okay, if I was going to drink coffee, I needed to have food with it so that my blood sugar would stay stable. And, and then finally I just gave up coffee. Yeah. Well, I'm a rapid caffeine metabolizer. In other words, I can drink coffee at night and not be affected, I say. Right? You're one of the lucky ones. I'm one of those. But also recognizing, too, that traditionally in traditional cultures, coffee's never was not designed to be drank on an empty stomach, mm. right? It is at the end of a meal and it's a shot of espresso. Yeah. And that's supposed to support digestion. 
right? Because it's acidic and it's supporting digestion and the coffee antioxidants and all of that stuff. So traditionally, the way we've, I, I use the word bastardized coffee in America, much like chocolate or cocoa or cocoa experience, is that we, you know, made it this addictive habit. I'll tell you another one that people probably... Oh, no. Are you going to say something, take something else away? No, I'm not. Actually, I'm not going to take anything away. I'm actually <laughs> going to, I'm going to just insert another just interesting cultural factoid that I learned when I went to Japan, because when you go out for sushi or you go to a Japanese restaurant, what do you usually start off with? They'll ask you if you want a salad or a miso soup. But in Japan... You don't eat the miso soup at the beginning. You actually eat the miso soup at the end of the meal because it's considered a digestive that supports the digestion with its, since it's fermented with its probiotics. So you do it at the end of the meal, not at the beginning of the meal. Oh, see, I didn't know that either. That's a good one. Then I can ask for my miso at the end. And I like making miso. It is like a beautiful addition and fermented good addition to help with gut health. So talk about a day in the life of the gut health protocol. What would like our listeners, what does a day in the life look like? And I well, appreciate I know, you I know you're into fasting and I'm also, I'm both into fasting, but also when supporting gut health into supporting the circadian rhythm of the gut. So at least I recommend a 12 hour overnight fast. So you want to give your gut that rest to be able to recover overnight. And then you're programming the, the gut microbiome by when you eat. And so a day in the life in the, the gut smart protocol might start today with like a simple, like smoothie for breakfast. Then you have lunch and dinner are going to be very similar protein, vegetables, maybe fermented foods. Now it depends on what your gut smart score is because ferments are great and they, they actually help promote microbial diversity as well as reduce inflammation. One study done by Stanford university showed that fermented foods lowered 19 different inflammatory markers. And they were looking at some really interesting markers of inflammation. They were looking at things like macrophage activation by cytokines. So they were looking at cellular cytokine activation as another marker for inflammation, not just like your typical C-reactive protein, you know, tumor necrosis factor alpha, IL-6, IL-12, not just those factors, but actually cellular activation. And they found that a diet high in fermented foods lowered 19 different inflammatory markers. Nice. Now, the thing is, when you take the gut smart quiz, if you score severe, you're going to go down that list. When you get to the ferments, you're going to see it's blank. You can't have fermented foods yet. Mm, Your gut is not going to be able to handle them. So we've got to build you up to that point where you can have the ferments. So it there are certain guidelines that we know, or, or let's just say there's an optimal gut diet where you want to arrive to, where you're having five to eight servings of fiber per day, up to two to three servings of fermented foods. And they actually did a study like this in Ireland, where they took a group of people, divided them into two groups. And one group was the intervention group where they increased their fiber intake and their fermented foods. And they were testing their stress score. So they wanted to see what their perceived stress was and whether the microbiome had any effect on how you perceive and feel stress in your body. 
without any sort of mental health intervention. So this was just strictly diet. The other group was told to eat the Irish food pyramid, which who knows what that is. Potatoes. Yeah. A lot of potatoes. Yeah. And, but, and, and of course told, you know, try to avoid sugar, processed foods, but they weren't told to increase their fiber. They weren't told to increase their fermented foods. And the, the group that did, they dropped their stress score by 32%. Wow. Versus the, the other time. group which you can say maybe there was a little bit of a placebo effect just by being part of the, you know, part of the study that uh, the other group dropped it by 17%, but that difference is still pretty significant. That's powerful. That is really powerful. And that goes back to the bacteria within the gut producing serotonin, you mm -hmm. know, how we need to feed that bacteria instead of annihilate it with antibiotics. And, and just a reminder that many of the foods and pesticides and herbicides, but many foods are injected, you know, our meat or animal sources are injected with antibiotics and our vegetable sources are sprayed with pesticides and herbicides. Well, what does that do? That kills the bugs, right? Yeah. And so that's killing our bugs too. And so I think that's really, that's a beautiful thing to understand. Vincent, there's a question that came up in our community about oxalates, avoiding oxalates, allowing oxalates. What's the situation with that? That's a big one, you know, because I feel that it almost in one respect, it feels like a little bit of a fad that's taken being taken a bit extreme. And now you, you hear a lot of people saying, no, I can't eat oxalates. You know, obviously, if you form kidney stones and you form calcium oxalate stones, you've got to be really careful with that. I think also if you have gut health issues, it's not just the oxalates, it's the, it's the lectins, it's the phytic acid on some of these vegetables that can be quite disruptive, like kale. I really think you got to be careful about eating raw kale, you know, cooked kale maybe, and not in excess, like vary these things. You know, historically, if you look at the, the diet of hunter-gatherers, they were eating lots of root vegetables. They were foraging for things that grew on trees like berries. An example is the, the Hadza in Tanzania that I spent uh, some time with when I was researching this book. They go foraging for honey. So they eat raw honey with honeycomb and even the honeybees, they're kind of, they're really tiny. They look like flies. And, and then they're hunting medium to uh, small to medium sized animals and sometimes bigger game animals, they don't have a diet that's really rich in vegetables other than root vegetables because, you know, they're living out in the bush. So they're not cultivating spinach and lettuces and all these things. And yet what's really fascinating about them is that actually there's a couple of things that are really fascinating. Their gut microbiome is extremely diverse. Now you could say there are several reasons for this. They are not exposed to antibiotics. Secondly, they're living out in the wild. So they're being exposed to nature and the diversification that happens from being exposed to dirt and animals and you know all those things. But the other, the other thing that is quite fascinating with them is that they also have some bad bugs in the gut that would probably be harmful for us. They have treponema in their gut. Mm. And interest, treponema, yeah. But it doesn't cause anything in their bodies. It lives in this, their gut is able to keep things in a state of harmony. And what they found was that the reason they have treponema is that treponema is able to digest plant fibers really well. And they're eating about 50 grams of fiber per day. 
And the trypanema breaks down xylans and cellulose in plants. Hmm. And interesting, interestingly, oh, the women had more than the men. And, and it's because the women, and, and, it's, and you don't see this in other cultures. When you look at the gut microbiome differences between women and men, like Italians and other Western cultures, there really isn't a lot of difference between them. But in the Hadza, the female microbiome was a bit different from the male and it's because their diets are slightly different. The women are eating way more root vegetables because they're staying in camp. They're not going out in the hunt. The men probably eat a bit more meat than the women, and they're eating the honey while they're out hunting for animals. And yeah, it's one of the few groups where you, where you actually see a difference between female and male microbiome. Oh, that is fascinating. And also to note that that gut microbial diversity scientific research showed is supportive of a stronger immune system and less diseases, all diseases of the, of the Western world. And, the, and, and that's why the Hatsar is so fascinating because they, they don't have diabetes, they don't have metabolic syndrome, they don't have obesity, they don't have heart disease, they don't have cancer. So they're free, no autoimmune disease. How they're old free. do they live? They average anywhere between like 65 and 70s. And a lot of times, you know, part of what brings down the, the age there is that they'll, they'll sometimes die from accidents out in the hunt or climbing a tree or something. It's mm. so cool. I didn't know you went and stayed with them. How fascinating. It's a, it's a human time capsule. It's like going back in time to what humans were for the majority of our history because we were hunter-gatherers for 95% of our human history. We've and only, what are, what's that? I was gonna say, what our capacity is as humans. And, and the resilience that's possible. You know, they, they are incredibly mentally resilient. And it makes me think, like I think about this and, and I think about like how we're designed to live and eat and how we are. And if we look at our modern grocery stores, I mean, there are food deserts within our nation. There are food deserts and Dallas has a food desert. But you think of these New, food deserts, but our modern grocery, yes, modern New, grocery New York has store. food deserts in the Bronx. Right. Like there are areas where there, all you can find is fast food. Yeah. And our modern grocery store can be considered a food desert because it's not indigenous foods, right? It's not indigenous foods, treated, injected, sprayed on. I mean, it's not harmonious to our organic body, to our organic physicality. I could talk to you forever, Vincent. I want to honor your time and please tell our audience where they can get your book and where they can get a hold of you. You guys, Dr. Vincent Pedre, he is an amazing physician. As you can hear his heart and his adventure spirit. Don't be uh, angry at him for taking away alcohol and coffee like I am right now. No, I'm kidding. But right there is, you know, I mean, it's just something to be, get back in touch with your intuitive healing. Remove it. And what happens when you re-ingest it? How does your body react? Well, how do you feel the next day? Be honest with yourself. And uh, that's, Vincent, that's the how important can we... part. And, and then you can find the balance that, that works for you, for each person. So it's, it's not for, you know, it's, it, it's not for never, but it is for now. So, um, I mean, people can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Pedre. They, they can get my book anywhere where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. If you want to support uh, smaller mom and pop bookstores, 
And of course, gutsmartprotocol.com has a lot of resources related to the book and they can learn more about me. They can actually take the quiz for free. So you don't have to get the book to take the quiz. If you go to gutsmartprotocol.com, at the very top, you're going to see take the quiz. So you can get the quiz, find out what your gut type is and see how much work you need to do to start healing your gut. You guys go take the quiz, gutsmartprotocol.com and put it in the comments of wherever you're listening to this. If you're on YouTube or if you're in my Spotify or iTunes, go to my YouTube channel or my Facebook at The Girlfriend Doctor and post what your results are. I will come back and read them. I want to hear what yours are. I'm going to go take my quiz right now, Vincent. <laughs> and I'll let you know what it is. I've got your cell phone. I'm texting you. But uh, I'll post mine too, you guys. So thank you for being here with me today. And thank you all for listening. This is a very important topic. If we want healthy immune system, a healthy brain, we want to eliminate mental diseases. If we want to eliminate third, you know, first world problems, let's say, we got to be really conscious of what we're eating, come back to intuitive, come back to our organic nature and discern what is what is best for us at this time and take your one next right step from this call. I always like to say, take your one next right step. And that may be taking, going to gutsmartprotocol.com and taking the quiz and just see. I, I encourage that because quizzes help us identify what we're dealing with. And I always hear from patients when I put them on a gut protocol or detox protocol is that I didn't realize how bad I was feeling till I started feeling good again. So yeah. it is so important to do this. And I want to thank you all for being here. Share this episode. The one request I have after you take your quiz is to share this episode. There's so many good pieces of information and it was just a lovely conversation. And uh, thank you again, Dr. Vincent Pedre for being here. And thank you all for listening till next time. Catch the next Girlfriend Doctor show.